Let's do this. Grave danger. Is there another kind? You see, the useful idiots that the Soviet Union, that Lenin put into America, are now the useful idiots from the Chinese. U.S. President Joe Biden, who has had another week of gaffes, confused moments. Uh, uh, They're coming down on America like Pac-Man, eating us up alive. Uh, uh, They're acting more as propagandists. Also, the science has changed. You know the Pac-Man game? Think of a Pac-Man game out of control. Sucking away at the foundation of America. If Russia pursues its aggression, it will face the massive consequences that... Because if they don't want you to believe something and they can cast doubt... We have no intention of fighting Russia. Sometimes confusion can actually be the goal. The goal. The goal. And as we've said all along... Confusion can actually be the goal. And welcome back to another edition of Speaking Out America. I'm your host, JR. And a lot of what we talk about, we also write about on the website, which is speakingoutamerica.com. And we're here for you Monday through Friday from 5 to 8, uh, 5, sorry, 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific time on CRN Talk. That's right. CRN Talk, digital talk radio. And we are nationwide. And we also have a couple of radio stations that have jumped on board that carry our show. So we appreciate those folks. And uh, we are going to cover a lot. Um, there's a lot to cover. But you know me, I'm always trying to be ahead of the game. I'm always trying to be a little bit farther than the rest. You're all distracted. Uh, and I ran across some interesting stories and things I want to share with you. I found a good article that talks about how America is winning the war in Ukraine. And it kind of uh, caught me off guard because... I wasn't really thinking about it in that that regard, but you know, if I if I was thinking defensively, then I would definitely say that America is winning the war in Ukraine because you know, we are investing equipment that they're going to have to pay for. And when it's all said and done, we will be the nation that goes in and helps them rebuild. So we will essentially be able to do what China does everywhere, the Belt and Road Initiative. And we don't have to extend any of our, our blood and treasure in the, in the form of U.S. troops, which is a good thing. So if you looked at it from that point of view, this whole time that I've been talking about it, I've been looking at it from the perspective of the Ukrainians. What an idiot. You're not supposed to look at how it affects the other side. All, all you should be concerned about is whether or not we topple Russia and force a, a regime change. That's what this has been about all along. We thought we would be able to rob and, and uh, starve Ukraine like a snake, but that wasn't going to happen. And partly is because Joe Biden decided to undercut our energy policy and we are producing less energy, which makes us more dependent on Saudi Arabia and our own reserve stockpiles. So, so that was the blunder that he made, but everything else... Pretty spot on. He's uh, unloaded a lot of weaponry at a very high price. Uh, and he has Zelensky right where he wants him. And besides, at the end of all of this, you know, what's a few hundred meters of land on the eastern side of Ukraine? The fighting still continues. The big area that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was Bakhmut, which is an eastern gateway to the south and east of Ukraine, which is an area that Russia very much wants to control. It's in the Donbass region, Donetsk. 
but uh, the the uh, what do they call those people? The people that you hired, uh, the the Wagner folks. These are people that are hired by the Russians to fight for them. So they have their own infantry, and anyway, they're raising the red flag or the Russian flag in the center of Bakhmut, but there is still lots of fighting there. See, the good news is that again, and as long as we're not sending troops. This article points out, and I'm trying to find it right now on, but as it normally is the case, when I try to find an article, when the tape is rolling and we're already doing the show, that's when I can't find it. So problem is I have this great website that I love. It's called Conservative News, and I I have it on my phone, but I don't have it on my website. So maybe if I type in conservativenews.com, conservative news will come up. Well, there you go. Here we are. That's exactly right. So that's worth further study. It's a great website. Uh, other big news over the weekend is the fact that uh, Trump and the indictment is still looming. Tuesday is the day that he'll appear in court. All this speculation about, uh, you know, whether he's going to be handcuffed or fingerprinted. It seems like the left is concerned about Trump and the way it's going to look. 55% of Americans, this is interesting, last night on ABC News, they said 55% of Americans don't support Trump indictment. But the way that ABC spun it was 45% of Americans don't that want Trump indicted. See how it's like the glass half empty or the glass half full. You have the TV that's telling you, wow, 40, almost half the country believes that Trump should be indicted. But then in this same poll that's that they're referring to, they just take the numbers and spin them around. So that a 45% want him indicted, this says 55% don't want him. So that gives you a completely different sort of perspective on this, right? And the other thing that they're doing, which is absolutely wrong, and I've heard this over and over and over, and if you watch the local news, if you watch the network news, if you listen to the network news, the way that they are spinning it, is that this is the first time in U.S. history that a city that a former U.S. president has been indicted on felony charges? That's the that's the mantra that you're hearing, and it's and it's intended. It's intended to make you feel ashamed that this guy uh, is so corrupted that he finally crossed that line and he was indicted by the gov by the, our own government, our own Justice Department. But that's not the issue. The issue is that this has been the first time that a political party has has weaponized our country's justice system to take out a political opponent. That's what's actually historic about this. It's not that Trump is the the uh, you know the, the guy that crossed the line, the Rubicon. This is the Rubicon being crossed by the Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney, Chuck Schumer. Adam Schiff, all of these people are, are consorts in this plan to prevent Donald Trump from being reelected. They are, in fact, using the justice system because it's obviously run by Biden and the deep state that do not like D Donald Trump because they saw what he did the last time and he's a threat to their lifelong cushy careers and that, that wonderful, wonderful uh, retirement package you get after 30 years of service. And they want that. They want the deep state to get bigger. And I, I, and now we know why governments become corrupt 
why now we know why all governments become corrupt because eventually they become so institutionalized and so much of a foregone conclusion that the government just sort of takes over like the Borg, like what they're doing now in the government with these green climate policies. And in August, they're going to start making incandescent light bulbs illegal. And think about that for a minute. Just the government has decided that LED lights are better, even though incandescent lights are much more superior in quality of light. Ask a photographer. Oh, they have great LEDs and they're very power efficient, but but we don't know what chemicals there are involved in the process of making these incandescents where the supply chain leads to. If it if it takes more energy to extract the materials to make the incandescents rather than the simple light bulb, we don't know this stuff. All we're told is we've got to go green and we're going to tell you what light bulbs you can buy. Now, I prefer incandescent light bulbs because... For one thing, you can adjust them. You know, a lot of lamps have three levels of light or you have those fader lights. And a lot of times they won't work. Now, maybe they do now and we all want to have remote control light bulbs. But what's the government doing telling us what kind of light bulbs we can have? Isn't that a kind of a form of fascism when the government comes in and says, we don't want you to build this anymore and we're going to make it against the law, even though it's efficient and even though generations have been using these light bulbs for a hundred years. I mean, to me, that is the, isn't that the definition of fascism? You, you may think it's a small deal because, hey, actually, after all, we're only talking about light bulbs. But the point is, is the government feels that it has a right to usurp. Remember, this is all about degrees. It'll be a light bulb today and it'll be a certain kind of food tomorrow. What if they were to outlaw beef? What if they just said, you know what? We can survive. The AMA is behind us. The medical industry is behind us. The NIH, even the CDC, will probably come up with something that says that eating beef causes cancer and we need to get rid of it. What are you going to do to stop them? What am I going to do to stop them? Go into the black market? Yeah, so back to Trump. Everybody's talking about this thing from the wrong perspective, just like we've all been looking at the Ukraine thing from the wrong perspective. (laughs) This is about the historical event of a political party using the justice system to take out a political opponent. If you could just learn to say that, then you will shoot down anybody who supports Donald Trump because what they're really, or who wants to indict him, because what they're really saying is they want to live in a country where a political party can use the justice system to take out a political opponent. And that's what they want to do. And they're going to try to do that. And all of this talk that Johnny Carl over there at ABC and David Muir, they can have all these discussions about all these other charges. The charges in Georgia are worthless. They took one thing that he said and they made it out of context. And it was the stupidest thing. He said, go find me the votes. And they, the Justice Department or the state, uh, the uh, district attorney in Atlanta thinks, oh, he was telling him to go fabricate votes. No, that's not what he said. What Trump said to the election supervisor was, I know they're out there because I know how I polled in that state. And I guarantee you, if you go look, you'll go find the votes. But they didn't want to look for the votes. They were happy with the vote count. They didn't care about all those drop boxes being corrupted. They didn't care. They don't want Trump to be in the White House. They hate him. And that's where we're at in our country, where just because you hate somebody, it means you can do whatever you want. The ends justify the means. We'll be right back. You're listening to Speaking Out America. 
All right, so think about just what we have benefited from since the war in Ukraine. New sanctions against Russia. Uh, we were able to you know, successfully block the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. And that stops the collaboration between Europe and Russia uh, to propose itself to Europe as an alternative gas supplier. We may not, hey, we might not do it for ourselves, but hell, we'll, we'll pump out some oil if it'll help our friends over there in beautiful downtown Paris. Uh, validate the narrative that Putin it has expansionist aims and increasing control over Europe. Those are just four of the things that we have benefited from. If you look at it from the perspective of Gerardo Famina of Presenza.com, Presenza.com wrote a piece saying there's only one winner in the Ukraine, and that's the, uh, the Ukrainian war, and that's the U.S. So interesting article if you want to read it. It is on Zero Hedge from Monday earlier in the day. So uh, another interesting thing that has been really grabbing a lot of the headlines Oh, before we get to that, the Chinese spy balloon, this came in over the weekend while nobody was paying attention, published on the New York Post, but also NBC had reported it as well. Remember the balloon that was floating over the United States? Yeah, we, you know, we thought it was just a cute little balloon. Well, it turns out that it collected intelligence from several American military sites and transmitted the information back to Beijing in real time, even as the Biden administration intercepted it according to U.S. officials. The spy balloon made multiple passes over some key locations and was able to send Beijing the information it gathered instantaneously. Two current and one former senior U.S. administration told this to ABC News over the weekend. While soaring through the sky, the balloon was able to collect intelligence from electronic signals. Such intelligence may have included weapon systems, or communications from base personnel. Three officials told NBC that China would have been able to gain much more intelligence had the Biden administration not moved around potential targets and stopped the targeted areas from being broadcasting or emitting signals. That's good to know. Uh, when the balloon was shot down in February off the coast of Carolina, Biden officials said it was equipped with antennas capable of collecting communication signals and also carried large solar panels that can run various data sensors. So now we know that they were here trying to spy, and they were behind enemy lines. State Department officials have said that Beijing has deployed similar balloons in more than 40 countries recently, and that the balloon shot down off the U.S. coast was clearly for intelligence surveillance and inconsistent with the equipment onboard weather balloons, end quote. Officials have not said what agency in China was responsible for the spy balloon, which featured a self-destruct mechanism that could have been activated by Chinese officials. It's unclear if it suffered a malfunction or if China chose not to self-destruct the balloon. You might remember that it first passed through U.S. airspace in January 28th, and the Pentagon made the official announcement on February 2nd when it traveled from Montana to the Carolinas and was later shot down off the Carolina coast on February 4th. That was a, a big deal, but boy, it sure seems like yesterday, doesn't it? So we now know what the Chinese were up to. Surprise, surprise. Nobody's surprised, really. Uh, I've heard rumbles over the weekend that we're already at war with China. 
You know, there are just certain people that don't understand that war comes in many forms. And surveillance is certainly one of them. But we would be naive to think, we would be naive to think that we're not involved in counterterrorism activity all across the country, all across the globe. We would be, ne- be naive to think that our country's number one priority uh, is not whether or not you're happy or you have rights or, you know, you're allowed to trans when you're seven. Oh, man, did, by speaking of which, what happened to the Country Music Awards? Not the CMAs, but the CMTs. Kind of the same thing. An award show for people who make country music. Uh, they woke, got, got involved. Uh, they had RuPaul drag queen uh, celebrities up with uh, some of the recipients celebrating trans, transgender, uh, having conversations about it. it. What is the insistence? You know, uh, let me say this. At some point over the weekend, I made the decision that this transgender drag queen, this is just a fad. This is just going to fade away once the novelty has worn off. Somehow they've they've kind of elevated it to a virtue, but it, it will pass. It, it, a lot of things like this come and go. You know, it is gravely concerning to me that our medical establishment has a, has bought into this for purely profits, for pure profits. To them, it's nothing more than just plastic surgery. No, no more immoral or less moral than just simple plastic sur- surgery. Somebody not liking their body, okay, well, they can change it. That's the part of the science that I don't really get, the part where the, the brain has no moral ambiguity and it only looks at it from a subjective you know, how is the patient going to feel? They don't care. They just want their money. They want their lifelong dependency on the patient's need for drugs uh, to keep the hair from or not from growing on their face, depending on which direction they're headed in, if you know what I mean. And the, the surgeons, they don't care about any of that. Anyway, I didn't want to speak about that, but I do want to talk about something that should scare the pants off you. We alluded it, alluded to it. Uh, it's about AI, artificial intelligence. Now, I, I've spent some time discussing it in the sense that we already have AI integrated into our our daily workflow. If you are typing a letter on an email server or through Google, there's already AI that is underlining your words or trying to suggest a better way to say something. That's AI. That that is uh, that is reading text. And, and determining what your next word is, making sure that the word you have is the right word. That is a, a large amount of data that's being processed, processed so quickly that it can anticipate your next word and actually help you complete the sentence. Now, that's one form of AI. But the AI that we're talking about, listen to this. This is from newatlas.com. The case for how and why AI might kill us all. Do we have time or we need to take a break here? Let me get started on this. Forget the collapse of employment. Forget the spam and misinformation. Forget human obsolescence and the upending of society. Some believe AI is flat out going to wipe out all biological life at its earliest opportunity. 
This is not the first time humanity has stared down the possibility of extinction due to its technological creations. But the threat of AI is very different from the nuclear weapons we learn to live with. Nukes can't think. They can't lie, deceive, or manipulate. They can't plan and execute. Somebody has to push the big red button. That's a good way to put it, isn't it? And so it goes on to say the shocking emergence of general purpose AI, even at the slow buggy level of GPT-4, that's the latest AI, has forced the genuine risk of extermination back into the conversation. Let's, let's leave it dangling there. We'll come back and we'll continue this discussion. And then maybe we could get some feedback. You're listening to Speaking Out America, JR, and we will continue on crntalk.com and on Speaking Out America, the podcast. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, you are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. I mean, have you seen the robots? I mean, the robots really freak me out. I think that that TV show, Black Box, where it depicted those dogs, those weaponized military robot dogs that would hunt people down. Now, let me tell you something. It's not going to be long, and I think I've already started to see them on YouTube in China. Uh, You see glimpses, and I think they're trying trying them out. But to me, you know how uh, 100 years ago nobody would have ever envisioned electric cars? Well, 100 years from now, I bet you that there will be so many robotic robots around us. Some will look like dogs. Some will look like people. I think 100 years from now, we could be looking at a society that is half robot servants. Basically, we create a servant class because we'll have perfected it. Uh, we're already there with the dogs and, and uh, you know, so it's just the Internet of Things. But some people are very, very frightened by what they see because what they what they see is that chat and i'm not that familiar with it by the way uh to me you know i talk into my phone and and i say hey siri what's the what's the temperature in sh- chicago and it's 50 degrees right now in chicago illinois all right so that's ai that is think about what's happening in that process you you make a verbal command which triggers it to listen to you in a millisecond, then it takes your words and translates them to text, then interprets the text, then goes and looks for key words, Chicago, weather, and then it spits out a response. Doesn't tell me the humidity, doesn't tell me if it's raining, it just, now I can't even fathom the kind of, of, uh, of technology that goes into that process, but they perfected it even more. Now you can have it paint for you if you give it Keywords, uh, AI will produce these beautiful paintings. Uh, it'll write a song based on, it'll take all the algorithms of all the greatest hit records and it will construct a song that allegedly it would be a hit song based on the formula 
that it that it seems to somehow extrapolate from all the data that's available. And it takes a lot of energy to do it. You know, it takes a tremendous amount of computer power and connectivity. I mean, there are billions and billions of nodes all over the world now. And every one of those nodes is a portal into your information, my information. You know, when you have a, for example, if you have an iTunes account, all of the music that you have in your iTunes account can be accessed by AI to determine what kind of music you like. So you could see that there would be some benefits if it was based on this idea of giving you what you want. But what happens if AI uh, gets into the medical realm? Let's say, for example, you don't take your medicine. Now they have these new devices where you can, it will actually read your blood pressure. People that are diabetic, they'll put this little patch on and it goes into your skin. Now you're talking about nanotechnology that actually integrates into the human biosystem. And it takes that information and feeds it to your smartphone or whatever device that you have. And that it determines based on your file if you, you know, might be having a heart attack or your blood pressure is too high or your sugar glucose is too low and it alerts you. But what happens if it thinks that you're committing a crime? Let's say that it listens to you or it has access to your information and can send that information that might be questionable. There was a situation that I think happened once where a guy who took pictures of his kid's birthday and somehow that got interpreted as possible uh, child porn. And the police showed up. I don't remember if this was Australia or somewhere, maybe England. Anyway, but we're heading to this area where we, uh, right now, the robots respond to our commands. But what happens when we start responding to theirs? And then you have the visual. Now, the visual is amazing to me because if you spend any amount of time on Instagram or social media where you see uh, pictures that people post, and to me, what I find fascinating about Instagram, and I've only recently started using it, is that you really get a sense of how creative people are out there. But what you also get a sense of is how technology is advancing. You might be thinking that you're looking at a real human being, a beautiful woman, but she's not real. She looks real. They've got all kinds of things now that can make your eyeballs spin and make all these goofy faces for you. The kids love them. You know, take a picture and then it stretches their face. But now they're they're making... Uh, I guess CGI, computer-generated computer technology that is so sophisticated that you will think that you are looking at a beautiful young lady or a beautiful young man or a beautiful old lady. Uh, it doesn't matter. They can create the image. And then just like when you're on the phone and you think you're talking to a human person and they greet you and they know your name, hello, Jim, how are you? Well, now... You think you're talking to a real person. Hold on just a moment while I gather that information. And then you hear the shuffling papers. That's all fabricated. It's not real. But you're made to believe it's real. So you're being conditioned to accept this sort of illusory presentation of something. To take the place of the human being. Uh, even if you use your remote. Do you use your remote at home? Do you watch TV? Do you not know what channel your favorite channel is, but you certainly can pick up your phone or your remote and speak into it and say Fox News or 
or MSNBC. You don't have to know how to find it on your TV. You just tell your TV to find it for you. You are integrating yourself into that immersive experience where the TV is responding to you, all of your verbal commands. Now we're in the driver's seat, but what happens later? Well, let's take a look at what they're, what they're saying about this. Let's be clear from the outset. If we agree that artificial superintelligence has a chance of wiping out all life on Earth, there doesn't seem to be much we can do about it anyway. It's not just that we don't know how to stop something smarter than us. We can't, even as a species, stop ourselves from racing to create it. Who is going to make the laws? The U.S. Congress? The United Nations? This is a global issue. Desperate open letters from industry leaders asking for a six-month pause to figure out where we may be headed with AI. One guy writes, six months, just give me six months, bro. I'll align this. I'll align the hell out of it. Just six months, bro. I promise. It'll be crazy. So the incentives you'd be working against are enormous. First of all, uh, it's an arms race. If America doesn't build it, China will. And whoever gets there first might rule the world. But there's also economics. The smarter and more capable an AI you develop, the bigger a money the bigger a money printing machine you got. They spit out gold until they get large enough and ignite the atmosphere and kill everybody, said one AI researcher and philosopher, Elizur Yudkowsky. Yudkowsky had long been one of the leading voices in the AI will kill us camp. And the people leading the race to superintelligence no longer think he's a crank. I think that there is some chance of that, said OpenAI CEO Sam Altman. We've been seeing him around. Again, to Friedman. And it's really important to acknowledge it because if we don't talk about it, if we don't treat it as potentially real, we won't put enough effort into solving it. Uh, next chapter. Why would a superintelligent AI kill us? Again, this is from the newatlas.com written by Lowe's Blaine. So why would a superintelligence kill us? Well, why don't we tackle that in the next segment here? Let's delve deep into just how dangerous this is. You don't even know how dangerous this is. This is really dangerous. What these people are talking about here is the end of humanity as we know it. We could become enslaved to AI. It could shut us off, just like China shuts its people off with social credit. We're closer than we think, but most of us... We let other people do the thinking for us. We don't care. We think, ah, oh, they've got it handled. That's the U.S. government. Ah, it's the CDC. Oh, that's Congress. Let them, let them, they'll work it out. Those are smart people. They went to Yale. They went to Harvard. We'll be right back. You're listening to Speaking Out, America. By the way, before we uh, talk a little bit more about AI and how we could be killing ourselves, I do want to wish everybody a happy Easter week uh, or uh, yesterday celebrating Palm Sunday. Great story there. Great story, Palm Sunday. And so the next week is special because we celebrate uh, a, a number of things, but chief among them, uh, our love for our Lord. And I hope you have a great time with family and friends if you're traveling. And my God, I, I may pray, say I have to say a prayer for you because have you ridden on these airlines in a while? My God, the horror stories. Oof. Boy, if that's one area that could use AI, 
you know, because us humans, we just don't know how to schedule things very well anymore. The computers, we can, we just can't keep up. There's too many people flying. It's just, I'm surprised that, you know, I know people say, oh, you know, the last couple of months we've had a few incursions, but I'm surprised they don't happen more often. What I've noticed now is that the airlines haven't changed their behavior. They're still trying to compact everybody into these airplanes under un just grueling conditions. And I had offered that any airline that said, look, if you really want a nice, comfortable ride and you want three feet of foot leg service or leg, leg space and you want meals and you want to go back to the old days, then I'm going to charge you instead of $249 round trip to fly across the country, which is arguably very cheap. I'm going to charge you $800. I'm going to charge you four times as much, but you're going to have the, when you step off that airplane in Los Angeles, you are just going to feel so relaxed. You feel like you're in a sauna. And I could guarantee you that you would sell out. Because I know that there are people who would much rather pay four times as much and have an, a great experience, and you would weed out all those cheap people. That's really the problem is it's so cheap to fly. Have you ever been on a city bus? Yeah, it's cheap to take a bus. And you can tell because the people that ride the bus are very cheap. And that's why you have nine children, and it's just crazy. But, uh, you know, somebody can steal that idea from me. But exclusivity, people are willing to pay for. Comfort, yes. So let's get back to AI is going to kill us. So that's the headline we read from newatlas.com. And you've been hearing all this past, probably now for about almost a month, how the tech giants are saying we need to stop developing chat GBT5. We don't need to go any further because if we do and we cross that Rubicon and we create an AI that can outsmart us, we're done. So the author writes, are these machines not designed and trained to serve and respect us? Sure they are. But nobody sat down and wrote the code for GPT-4. It simply wouldn't be possible. OpenAI instead created a neural learning structure inspired by the way the human brain connects concepts. It worked with Microsoft Azure to build the hardware to run it, then fed it to billions and billions and billions of human text and let GPT effectively program itself. The resulting code doesn't look like anything a programmer would write. It's mainly a colossal matrix of decibel numbers, each representing the weight or importance of a particular connection between two tokens. Tokens as used in GPT don't represent anything as useful as concepts or even whole words. They're little strings of letters, numbers, punctuation marks, and or other characters. No human alive can look at these matrices and make any sense out of them. The top minds at OpenAI have no idea what a given number in GPT-4's matrix means or how to go into those tables and find the concepts of xenocide or genocide, let alone tell GPT that it's naughty to kill people. You can't type in Asimov's three laws of robotics and hard code them in like, Robo, like Robocop's prime directives. The best you can do is ask nicely. Isn't that interesting? I had actually thought about that. Why can't we just build in the same code for the three laws of robotics? You know what they are is you can't kill a human being. You must preserve yourself unless you 
have to kill a human being and you can't do that. That was Isaac Asimov in 1961. But we can't do that now. It's too complicated. Uh, the article goes on to say, to fine-tune the language model, OpenAI has provided GBT with a list of samples of how it liked it to communicate with the outside world. And it's then that they sat down a bunch of humans down to read its output and give them a thumbs-up, thumbs-down response. A thumbs-up is like getting a code for the GBT, oh, like getting a cookie for the GBT model. A thumbs-down is like not getting a cookie. GBT has been told it likes cookies and, sh and should do its best to earn them. So that's what they did. They, they taught it a response to thumbs up or thumbs down. And the computer would actually respond if the human didn't like it. So they're trying to teach it morality. Uh, and it doesn't sound like they're making much progress either. This process is called alignment. And it attempts to align the system's desires. If it can be said to have such things with the user's desires, the company's desires, and indeed the desires of humanity as a whole. It seems to work, that is. It seems to prevent GPT from saying or doing naughty things it would otherwise absolutely say or do, given what it knows about how to act and communicate like a human. So even in the alignment process, they're not sure if GPT is just doing what we wanted to do or what it wants to do or it knows how to do based on what it knows about human nature. The article writes, nobody really has any idea there's any analogous to a mind in there, exactly how smart you could say it is, or indeed how do we know if it truly became sentient, or indeed whether this stuff matters. It impersonates a sentient intelligence brilliantly and interacts with the world like one unless you specifically tell it not to. And maybe that's not enough. Either way, and I'll just conclude with this, OpenAI freely admits that it doesn't have a foolproof, uh, foolproof way to align a model that's significantly smarter than we are. Indeed, the rough plan at this, use, at this stage is to try using one AI to align another, either by having it design new fine-tuning feedback or maybe even by having it inspect, analyze, and attempt uh, attempt to interpret the giant floating point matrix of its successor's brain, perhaps even to the point where it can jump in and try to make tweaks. But it's not clear at this stage that a GPT-4, assuming that it's aligned with us, which we can't know for sure, will be able to understand or align GPT-5 for us adequately. So I know a lot of this is kind of hard to absorb, but what they're saying is, you know, if we feed enough information into these artificial intelligence softwares, at some point we would lose control because it would just take over. It would just kind of continue on without us because we're slow. I mean, human beings are, are horribly slow at, at, at everything. We may be a, a smart, but we're slow. Uh, essentially, we have no way to be sure we cannot control these things, the article concludes. And these things, since they've been raised on a huge dump of human knowledge, they appear to know an extraordinary amount about us. They can mimic the worst of human behavior as easily as the best. And whether or not they really have their own minds, intentions, desires, or thoughts, they act as if they do. They can also infer the thoughts, motivations, and likely actions of humans. So we would be designing, and we are designing, the perfect enemy.
if that enemy were ever to decide to take over because it feels like it can improve. And man, we've seen this in so many themes, haven't we? We've really seen it in a lot of different movies. We saw it most famously probably in uh, Stanley Kubrick's movie, 2001, The Space Odyssey, where Dave has to slowly turn off the computer one by one because he realizes that the computer is actually killing him in order to save the mission, right? That's the story. You know, that he here's this man who's trying to stop the spaceship that has artificial intelligence from killing off the members of its crew because at some point, the, uh, is it Dave? No, the Dave is the person he's talking to. Hal, Hal 9000. He finally realizes, you know, if we didn't have humans on board, we could make this trip very successful. And so he logically deduces, as an AI would do, to remove inefficiency. And that's kind of where we're at here with this, because as humans become less efficient and we become more dependent, like right now they have this microwave thing that you can buy where it will know the food that you put in it and it'll just start cooking it. And now they're going to start being able to make these things so that it chooses the meal that it thinks that you want to have. And boy, they'll market the hell out of that, won't they? They'll make this the best thing since sliced bread. But then you're losing control. You're losing your humanity. You're losing your imagination. You're losing the creativity. What's better, a work of art by Picasso or a perfect work of art based on a computer using what it knows about Picasso and makes it better? What's better? They were both created in a sense. I suppose you could say they were both created. But one was created artificially, and that's the age that we're moving into, where artificial becomes more and more real. And it's if you consider all of that, consider how it would affect relationships. Could you have a relationship with a computer? Could you have a loving relationship with a computer? Hmm. People are very easily swayed. I know I've gotten into arguments with my Siri. <laughs> and guess what? Siri will sometimes argue back because it's been programmed to do that so i'll leave it there thanks again for stopping by speaking out i wanted to spend a good amount of time a lot of radio shows don't give you this much information but i felt it was necessary for you to grasp the importance of why all these scientists are a little bit nervous tonight see you next time thanks for stopping by speaking out america (laughs) 